Sunday School today, and we're going to seek the Lord in prayer, then we'll turn and read some portions from the Word of God. Let us pray. Eternal God and Father in heaven, we rejoice this morning that we can be found afresh in thy house, meeting with thee, lifting our voices to thee in prayer. We thank thee we can come and meet with thee and consider again our study in the history of thy church. And Father, we thank thee for thy hand upon it. And we thank thee that uh, this is uh, the story of how thou didst move and save and redeem and preserve thy church and thy people. And we pray that thou would bless us through this study. Do you remember the Sunday school? We pray for the boys, girls, I would bless their And we pray that we would know a blessed day in thy house. And as we come to the table of the Lord, Father, prepare our hearts, bless us, and may we know uh, that grace from thee this day, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Returning this morning in God's word to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Last Lord's Day, we considered an introduction to church history considering the importance of church history and how it can apply and be relevant to us. We also considered a little background information concerning the Roman Empire. And this morning we're going to focus more upon the church. And we have entitled, as you can see in the notes, this study, Jews, Christians and the Timeline. Jews, Christians and the Timeline. And so, looking at the early church, the early church fathers as well, but we'll read from Acts chapter 2, then we'll move to Acts chapter 11. Acts 2 and the verse 41, this is immediately after the day of Pentecost. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of that passage. We'll turn to Acts 11. Acts chapter 11. We'll read from verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, 
was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. <clears throat> and in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus. And signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious word. And so this morning we come to consider Jews, Christians, and the timeline. And the great commission that was given by the Savior to his disciples and to his apostles is the foundation of the book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us the story of the apostles obeying and fulfilling the great commission that Christ gave them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they desired to fulfill this commission through the very means that God had appointed, the preaching of the word. And therefore, in the book of Acts, we see the Lord blessing this. We see the day of Pentecost, what happened. Peter stood up, others as well, but Peter primarily, as we see in Scripture, he preached, and the Spirit of God came upon them. Men heard the word of God in their own language, their own tongue, and they were saved and converted to Christ. And in Acts chapter 2 and the verses we read, we saw what happened. Their lives were changed. They became part of the church. And they came together and heard the preaching and abided in the apostles' doctrine. But it came through preaching. And we see the establishment then of several churches throughout the Roman Empire. In Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, we have Antioch. Uh, Acts, chapter, well, Acts chapter 11, that should say, uh, but Acts chapter 13 was when the missionaries went out, Paul and Barnabas from Antioch. Uh, we have Thessalonica there in Acts chapter 17, Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, and other churches as well. We have Corinth that was established, and we know that there was a church and believers found in the Roman capital city of Rome in what we call today Italy. And so in the book of Acts, we see clearly the primacy of preaching and the establishment of churches and in the life of those same churches. What happened, Acts chapter 2, uh, we read there, they listened to the word. They came together and continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Acts chapter 11, Barnabas came and he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He came and brought Paul to Antioch. Why? To preach. To preach. And so the church was established by preaching. And the church was sustained and it grew through the preaching of the word of God. And that is our historical heritage. The primacy of preaching. The work of the church is always to preach. Some will say, well... 
There's other aspects. There's pastoral care. Yes, and that is very important. And there is the need to uh, do other things. And there are things that are important. But the primary work of the church of Christ is to preach the truth of God, to be a preaching center for the gospel of Christ and for the instruction of the saints. And we ought never to forget that. Too often, uh, churches are so engaged in their programs and in other things and in praise and in singing and whatever it might be that the preaching of the word is set to the side. It's five minutes here or 10 minutes there or 15 minutes. Or if the preacher is 25 minutes, that's too long. We believe in the primacy of preaching. That doesn't mean the preacher should be preaching for 90 minutes or two hours or three hours. But it means that our service and our witness revolves around hearing the preaching of God's precious word. And that is our historical heritage. That is our reformed heritage. And that is the heritage that we see in the New Testament church. But in the early years of Christianity, the church was associated with Judaism. In the sense that it had commenced in Jerusalem. And a large majority of early Christians were converts from Judaism. As the church grew, converts included Gentiles. The first Gentile church was established there, Acts 11, in Antioch. And it grew into a mother church. As this church sent out Paul on his missionary journeys. And those journeys led to that great spread of the gospel throughout the ancient Roman Empire. And the moving away from Jewish roots as more and more Gentiles and pagans came to know Christ and be added to the church. But in Acts chapter 6, we begin to see division taking place between the Grecians or the, and the, uh, the, Grecians or the Hellenistic Jews uh, that had believed on Christ and those who came directly from a Hebrew background. The Hellenistic Jews had been greatly influenced by Greek culture and language, the translation of the Bible that they used, the Old Testament scriptures, was the Septuagint, that was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And this difference had produced tension long before the formation of the New Testament church at Pentecost. The Hebrew Jews viewed themselves as true Jews. They were born and brought up in Israel, whereas the Greek Jews were partly foreign and had been corrupted by paganism and pagan culture. If we had members of our congregation standing up and saying, well, I'm a true Canadian, and I was born in Canada, and my parents, uh, they were born in Canada, my grandparents were born in Canada, and uh, they refer to the rest of us, whether we were citizens, but from another country, or permanent residents from another country, and they referred to us as a lower class, there would be a problem. Many of us would be offended by what would be taking place. And then there would be accusations uh, from those of us who are permanent residents or have come from somewhere else. And we criticize uh, those who say they are true Canadians. It would cause a problem. And that's what we were having here within the church. Only, uh, not only was it culture and their background, but it was also their religious background as well. Uh, because of the Jewish faith. And so the Greek Jews were partly foreign. They had been corrupted in the mind of the true Jews, the Hebrew Jews, as 
being influenced by paganism and by a pagan culture. And there's also another side as those Greek Jews viewed the Hebrews as too narrow-minded, too traditional, and not aware enough of the outside world and its differences to Hebrew culture. The Apostle Paul had a great zeal as a Pharisee, but he was born in the Hellenistic city of Tarsus. But yet he was very acceptable to the Hebrew Jews because of his learning and his knowledge and his understanding of the law and the scriptures. And of course, his intolerance for Christianity. So these issues, it carried over into the New Testament church. We can also add the conversion then of Gentiles and pagans into that mix. And the biblical record informs us that there were issues within the church because of the acceptance of Gentiles as converts to Christianity because the Jews looked down upon the Gentiles. And so as Jews were converted and added to the church and Gentiles were converted and added to the church, there were these, this bias against them because of the history between the Jews and the Gentiles. We see some of that in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 when Cornelius was converted and there was much discussion regarding Gentiles being converted in Acts chapter 11. And of course, the church came to the position uh, they affirmed the position uh, that the gospel was for the Gentile as well. Because Christ had said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Just don't go to the Jews. Just don't, don't go to those who are from Israel. But go into the world. Reach the world. Not everyone in the world is a Jew. They're Gentiles. And they need to be reached with the gospel of Christ. Acts chapter 7 shows us the hatred that the Jews displayed toward a Hellenistic believer, the deacon Stephen. He preached a sermon against the Jews and the rejection of Christ, and such was the hatred that he is known as the first Christian martyr. Uh, that persecution then led to a great dispersion of Christians, believed to be mainly those who were Greeks, Acts chapter 8 and the verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so there was this spread. But when we think of Stephen, Stephen died. He died a martyr. Why did God allow that? Why did that happen? Why did a faithful man, a man who loved Christ, a man who preached Christ, why did God permit his life to be taken? I think we can see some of that reason here in Acts chapter 8, as persecution intensified, and in the wake of Stephen dying, many of these Christians fled Jerusalem. They went elsewhere. They brought the gospel with them. If we were to leave this church and disperse throughout Canada, we would go to places where there may be no witness. We take the gospel with us. And that is what these individuals did. They took the gospel with them. They spread into the world. And that is a partly a reason that comes from the death of Stephen and a consequence of his martyrdom. In Antioch then, in Acts chapter 11, we read that the word Christian was used for the first time. And the church in this city in Antioch is often referred to and preached as a pattern church. In other words, this is what a church should be. 
you want to know what our church should be like, if you want to know what a Bible-believing church should be like, well, Antioch gives us a pattern for that. This is what a church should be by the grace of God. There is doctrine, the preaching of the truth of God. There is care. Uh, we see that, especially regarding uh, the prophecy of Agabus. They uh, gave and they sent that help to the church in Judea uh, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, verse 30. And so there was a care by the individuals that comprised this church. There was a preaching and belief in the gospel of Christ. And they believed in Christ. They loved the Savior. And they separated themselves unto Christ. We see what Barnabas is preaching here. Verse 23. And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. They would join with the Lord. They would bond with him. They would leave the world behind and separate themselves unto the Lord. And that is what Christianity is all about. Separating ourselves from the world. From that which is false. Unto our Savior who died to redeem us and to call us out of this world. And what is the church? The Greek word for church is ecclesia. And what does that mean? If you look at those Greek words, it's a compound word. It's made up of two words. And uh, there is a word that means call. And there is a word, the word ek, which means out. And so you put those together, what does it mean? Called out. And the church are those who are called out. Called out of this world, called out of sin, called out of paganism or whatever it might be, called out of the world and separated unto God, cleaving to him. And this is what the church is and what the church ought to be, separated unto Christ. There was rejoicing as well in this church. Rejoicing because of Christ. Praise because of what the Savior had done for them. We see the gladness in the heart of Barnabas, who when he came, verse 23, and had seen the grace of God, God was working. That's another thing the church of Christ needs, the working of God within the church, the grace of God. He was glad. He rejoiced. Oh, we should be glad when we see God blessing. God may be blessing other churches in great ways. We should be glad. We should desire God would bless us also. When God works truly by his power, there is a true salvation, a true preaching of the word. We should be glad as believers. There was gladness. There was humility and vision. Why do I say that? Well, Barnabas went to Antioch. He was the main man there. The church had sent him to find out what was going on. He began to preach. He was the leading figure here. The man who came from Jerusalem to see how this work was going, to see what was happening, to see if it was of God. There was blessing. He was preaching. God was blessing. And what did Barnabas do? Well, he left and he went to seek Saul of Tarsus. And when he had found him, verse 26, he brought him unto Antioch. And it tells us there much people were taught. Taught much people. See, he had a vision. There was a work that Saul of Tarsus, that persecutor who had been saved, there was a work for him to do in, Tar in Antioch. Barnabas had vision. 
He also had humility. It was not his work. The work in Antioch was God's work. God was working. And he had a vision for that work. He had a belief that Saul of Tarsus could be used by God mightily here in this place. And so he brought him. And so he labored instead of just him. He worked alongside another man, a man whom he could have had great ill feeling for. But we find previously he had encouraged him and had realized that the Lord had truly saved this persecutor. Oh, the humility and the vision here in the church of Christ must have humility and must have vision. There's no pride in the heart of Barnabas. He was determined to do that which was good for the work of Christ. That came first. That came first. And we find in Acts 13 then, this church did something else. They actively supported missionary endeavor. They actively supported missionary endeavor. Paul and Barnabas were then sent out. The best men. They sent the best men. Not the young guys. Not the guys who maybe were young in the ideas and doctrines of Christianity. They sent some of their best men into the ancient world to plant churches, to preach the word of God. And we find later on they came back to Antioch and they reported there was accountability as well regarding what they had done. And so Antioch is a pattern church. And we find then that it was very influential in setting the scene for first century Christianity and being that stepping stone into the second century when the apostles had passed away and when uh, the story of the church began to move uh, forward. But we come to consider here, who were the Judaizers? There's much conflict in uh, the early church regarding this faction. Uh, they were Jewish Christians who believed that the Levitical laws of the Jews were still binding on all Christians, regardless of whether they were Gentiles or Jews. In other words, to be truly saved, it wasn't just faith in Christ alone. It was faith in Christ, but you need to abide by the ceremonies of Judaism, circumcision being one of the prime examples. And if we turn to Acts chapter 15, we deal with a group of individuals here who came to the church at Antioch, Paul had come back from a missionary journey. He was in Antioch. And we find in verse 1, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. So these Greeks and circumcision was a Jewish custom. It was not a Greek custom. These Greeks were being told, You're not actually saved. Because you need this done to you. You need to abide by this custom. When therefore Paul and Barnabas, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And so there was an issue that arose. And Paul and Barnabas were vigorous and uh, they fought fiercely in regard to words and discussion and debate regarding this doctrine. They were opposed to it. Salvation was by Christ alone, not through the customs of Judaism, 
These things have been left in the past. And now there was faith in Christ. And Paul sought to refute their doctrine. He did that in his epistles as well. The book of Galatians deals with some of this. He even opposed Peter to his face over his seeming support for these individuals and the shunning of Gentile believers. New Testament does not teach that Christians should follow the Levitical laws or the Mosaic law. And therefore, this group was adding to the doctrine of justification by faith alone, adding rituals and ceremonies and the traditions of men as being necessary for salvation as well as faith in Christ. And this belief stood in stark contrast to the doctrine of the Christian church and the doctrine of the apostles. And it's also one of the first recorded heresies the church had to deal with. A council then in Acts 15 was set up at Jerusalem to deal with this heresy. The council is dated around 48 AD and is an early example of Presbyterian church government. The elders coming together, the apostles coming together and discussing this matter. And so the decision was made that faith alone in Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. Therefore, the Gentile converts to Christianity did not have to abide by the Mosaic law for their salvation. And the issue that the Judaizers teach us is an important and significant lesson that the truth of the gospel of Christ must be kept pure. It must be defended by the church. We ought not to change it or to adapt it or even deny some of it to suit certain groups or certain individuals or certain views within Christianity. The word of God must always be our priority and our authority on matters of doctrine. And we see similar issues arising then within the Catholic Church prior to the Protestant Reformation. What happened then? There was a denial of the sufficiency, and that means Christ's work of salvation is enough to save. So I'm saved. I'm assured of heaven. Why? Because I'm resting on Christ. Christ alone. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So I'm resting on Christ alone and his death, and that death is sufficient to save my soul and your soul. But they denied the sufficiency of Christ's atoning sacrifice and added works for salvation. And so we, we see that. We see the cults doing similar things. And we see here the Judaizers adding these works and customs. And the gospel of Christ must be kept pure. It is the duty of the church to preach that which God has delivered in his word. To preach that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And so the church stood against this. They made a declaration. That declaration was passed and sent out to the churches. And we find as well that there was blessing. In verse 4 of chapter 16, it says there, And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep the were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So this decree went out. It was passed to the churches. It was binding upon the churches. And we see the Presbyterian aspect there, decisions made by the elders at the Presbytery meetings are are binding upon uh, the church of Christ. 
in, in that presbytery or that denomination. And so we find verse 5. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. There was blessing. When God's truth is abided by and defended and upheld in the face of error, there is blessing. There is blessing. And so that brings us towards the end of the first century. We have an idea of some of the things happening within the church and the death of the apostles. When we think of the apostles, some of their details are from tradition regarding their death. Some of the details of their deaths are not necessarily accurate. There are details that are unknown. There are traditions that the Roman Catholic Church held as well. And it is very difficult to get a true understanding of what actually happened. So when we think of the apostles... And some of these are more certain than others. Peter is believed to have been crucified upside down. He refused to be crucified in the same position as his Savior. And he was crucified upside down in Rome around A.D. 64 to 66. The Apostle Paul was believed to have been killed in the Colosseum in Rome around 66 A.D. There's some differences of opinion as to how he was killed, but... Uh, it was believed to have been certainly in Rome around that date. Uh, the Apostle Andrew was believed to have been crucified in a place called Patras around 60 AD. Thomas, Thomas believed to be martyred by spears around 72 AD. There's conflicting accounts of Philip, and we are unsure whether it was natural causes or martyrdom around AD 80. Matthew was martyred around 60 AD. Bartholomew, probably martyred as well. James, the son of Alphaeus, martyred. And Simon the Zealot, martyred. Jude, martyred. Matthias, martyred around 60 to 64. John uh, died a natural death from old age at the end of the first century. And so he had received the revelation, the book of Revelation, inspired to write it. And that is the last book in the scriptures. And so John lived the longest. And then we have James, the son of Zebedee, who was martyred in the New Testament, Acts chapter 12. Now, there's something that strikes us about these apostles. Martyred, martyred, martyred. They died for the faith. The majority of them died for the cause of Christ. When we look at the early church, we see that. We're going to come and look at the persecutions uh, that came with Nero and others and it is a great reminder to us of the suffering of individuals for their saviour we sit in comfort today we have comfortable pews we have the scriptures before us bound and printed and easy to read in our own language we have the heat on to keep us warm If you're thirsty, there's water downstairs in the kitchen you can go and get. You don't have to walk home in the rain or the wind or the snow or whatever might happen because you've a vehicle. We have so much comfort today within society and within the church of Christ. But we find these individuals suffered. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was set upon. Paul was stoned. 
Paul died for the cause of the gospel. We, we know very little or nothing about what that is like today. In some places in the world, there is still persecution. There are still those who die for the faith. But here in Western society, we know very little of that. Very little. And let us, when we come to consider the persecutions then, let us understand the great hardships the early Christians had to face. And they stood firm. And they stood for Christ. Let us learn from their example. That's why history is relevant. It teaches us where we came from. The sacrifices that were made. It encourages us to live for Christ. When we look at it in perspective, we can think, well, it's cold today. It's icy today. And I have to go to church. I'm just going to sit and watch online. Then we look at the list of these apostles, martyred, martyred, martyred. What would a little cold be to them? We look at this, it changes our perspective on life and on service for Christ. I've traveled the world preaching and serving the Lord, but I've never even been close to being martyred. Not even close. But yet many of these apostles, they lost their lives because of their faith. Oh, that we would remember them. Oh, that we would use them as examples. That they would challenge our hearts that Our Christian lives and living for Christ and witnessing for Christ is not as difficult as we might feel it might be. We don't like to be mocked. We don't like to be scorned. We don't like to be laughed at by the world. But these men died. They paid the great sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Let us remember that. And as we come to the persecutions, we'll read of many more. Let us learn... And be encouraged and challenged to stand firmly for the Savior. The end of the first century then saw a new era being ushered in by the church, an age without the apostles. And that's a common occurrence in history because godly leaders pass away. And the Lord, in his wisdom and in his time, replaces them with others. These men were known as the church fathers or the early church fathers. They were pastors and preachers and theologians. And writers who endeavored to serve the Lord in the further establishment of his church. Many of these men were good men. But however, as history passes by and we move further from the early church and closer to, I suppose, the dark ages in the Reformation era, we see great changes taking place. We see the establishment of the papacy. And we see the Roman Catholic Church gaining its power. We see errors coming in. And some of these men were involved in errors or little errors that then led later on to more serious errors. And of course, when we look at these men, we're not saying that they were perfect theologians, that they had perfect doctrine. No, we're not. They're historical characters we're considering. They're men of God and the Lord used. 
uh, but yet we do not agree with every single aspect of their lives. We have a timeline then of the early church fathers. We have Clement, and he was the Bishop of Rome. I'm not going to read the dates out. You can look at them in the notes. We have Ignatius of Antioch. He was martyred. We have Polycarp of Smyrna, who was martyred, and he knew the Apostle John. His great, his great reference to Christ, his last words was this. Eighty and six years have I served him, Christ, and he has done me no wrong. He wasn't going to forsake his Savior. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. Man who loved the Savior. And we have uh, Papias, who was a bishop in modern-day Turkey. We have Justin Martyr, who was a Christian apologist, a defender of the faith, and philosopher. He was martyred along with some of his students. Some of these names we'll come across later on. We have Irenaeus. He heard the preaching of Polycarp, and he labored in Gaul, which is modern-day France. We have Clement of Alexandria, who taught Oregon. Uh, we have Tertullian, who was a prolific, a prolific author, referred to as the founder of Latin Christianity. We have Oregon, who was a pro prolific writer of around 2,000 treatises in multiple branches of theology. We have Cyprian, who was the bishop of Carthage and a writer who was also martyred. We have Ambrose, who fiercely promoted Christianity against Arianism and paganism. And one of the heresies we'll be looking at around the AD 300s will be Arianism and how that has still had an influence even in recent years, the 1800s, etc. With Jerome, who was known for his Latin translation of the Bible, the Vulgate, closely associated with the Roman Catholic Church. With Athanasius, who had a conflict with Arius and Arianism. Uh, Basil of Caesarea, who was a bishop in uh, Cappadocia, Asia Minor. He was influential again against Arianism. Uh, we have John Chrysostom, the Archbishop of Constantinople, who was known for his preaching, having a silver or golden tongue, a great preacher. And then we have Augustine, uh, who was a bishop in Africa, and Protestants, especially Calvinists, were greatly influenced by his teachings on salvation and there was an influence there upon John Calvin. So that gives us a little snapshot of these men who came after the apostles. Some of the names you may know. Uh, some uh, did have their, I suppose, uh, heresies. There is a saying uh, that uh, we often mention, even in my own family, uh, that every man has his own little heresy. Uh, maybe not necessarily a heresy, but an heresy, something that he clings to. And these men uh, certainly did have, like every man, have their own errors, etc. Uh, but they were used of God in many ways and have an influence until the present day. And so as time goes by and we move through the history of the church, those names will come up uh, time and time again. But let us uh, unite together in prayer. Let us seek the Lord and uh, let us pray and ask for his blessing upon what we've considered today. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy goodness and mercy toward us. We thank thee for the history of thy church. We thank, O oh God, of what we have here in this passage uh, that we've read there in Acts, Acts 2 and Acts 11. We thank thee for the church of Christ 
there in Jerusalem, those who were saved, those who came together, those who had an appetite for the precious word of God. Father, give us an appetite for thy word. Give us an appetite for the preaching of thy truth. Oh God, we pray that uh, we would be, as it were, that pattern church, learning from the church in Antioch, learning who we are and what we ought to be, and how we are to live and serve. And we thank thee there for those who cleaved unto the Lord. And may we cleave unto the Lord. May our relationship with thee and not uh, be a trivial relationship, something that we don't really care much about, a relationship that is really for show. But Father, may there be that deep love, that deep cleaving within us for the Savior. And Father, that we would stand for thy truth. We've learned of that this morning as well, the need for the purity of the gospel. May we love the gospel. May we pray, Father, that as we worship here, that the truth of God that is preached from our pulpit would be a pure gospel, not shapen by man's ideas or by the philosophies of this modern age, but the pure, old-fashioned message of the cross of Christ that has been used by thee over the generations. Father, may we be those who pray for the purity of thy church, for the purity of the gospel of Christ. Father, bless us, we pray. Bless us as we come to our morning service. Be with us, meet our needs, glorify thy name. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen.